The opinions and views expressed in this video are purely for entertainment purposes and not for investment advice. Hey guys, welcome back to episode 17 of Jack of All Trades. I'm Kalen here with Brandon and David as always. Uh, today we're going to go over a few different things. We're going to touch on uh, some catalysts for the week. We're going to look at Tesla. We're going to talk a little bit about what's going on with Bitcoin. Uh, and then we'll talk a little bit about some small cap stuff that we've been seeing lately too. So Brandon, you want to kick it off and kind of go through uh, what you saw this week? For sure. So global market indices were largely flat this week. They started to consolidate on the daily time frame. The S&P 500 is a great example of that. It was down about 10 basis points, so a very insignificant move there. Um, there's sort of a tug of war going on between a number of positive and negative catalysts. Do you guys want the good news first or the bad news? Bad news. Bad news. So the bad news, there's two significant factors there. One, we're seeing an uptick in global coronavirus cases, as all of you guys may know. And the second is uh, Joe Biden unveiled uh, his tax plan where he wants to double the capital gains tax rate from 20% to roughly 40% for uh, the wealthiest of investors. Yeah. And we'll definitely get into that later on in the episode. In terms of the positive catalyst, we had a number. We had more strong economic data. Every single week I'm coming on this show, I'm saying we're getting strong economic data. It's absolutely mind boggling. We had the manufacturing PMIs come in, astounding number there. Uh, new home sales continuing to impress. We had a slew of really strong um, earnings. It's our second week of earnings here. Uh, we had uh, companies like Coca-Cola, Chipotle. Um, we had a Netflix. number of companies. Netflix as well, which uh, actually was a little bit of a disappointment, but we'll get into that later on again. And um, the, uh, the third thing was uh, Bonios. Bonios continue to uh, consolidate. We're down to about 1.5% on the U.S. 10-year, which is really a happy number for the market. The market likes that. Uh, market skeptics were a little bit worried a few weeks ago uh, when we were looking like we were going to break that very psychological 2% threshold. So um, low interest rates and low yields, very positive for the markets. So that's great there. In terms of market leaders and laggards. There were two significant leaders this week. They were, again, non-cyclical interest rate sensitive sectors, and that was real estate and healthcare. The interesting thing is these sectors were some of the biggest losers year to date. So now we're kind of seeing a little bit of a flippening happening here. Um, and there's strength in some of the materials names, such as gold, uh, lumber and steel. In terms of the laggards, there's one laggard that sticks out, and that's energy, uh, specifically the oil and gas sector. It's still the number one sector year to date. It's uh, produced the greatest gains. However, it's, it's given back a lot of those gains. So I think really to get a good feel for that market, we should dive into the XLE. All right, let's take a look at that. <clears throat> Sorry, just on the bonds right now, I was just talking because you were looking at it since you were mentioning it. Looks like they all bounced off the, uh, like the 30 year. Everybody was bouncing off the 50 MA or having touched it. Pop up the 10 year, the US 10 year. Yeah, there it is. So it's kind of just chilling at that 50. Is that, a, a, is that like a simple moving average? Yeah, it's 50. That's 200. Perfect. So yeah, maybe we're fine, comfortable, just chilling at that area. Maybe we'll get a little bit of a bounce. I see the RSI is making a series of uh, lower highs and lower lows. Yeah. So that's definitely something to watch. But as long as 
rates don't go up too fast, I think the market's fine and the market's going to continue to chug higher uh, as long as rates don't get out of hand. Yeah, you're right. I think um, I think we have most of the, the weakness shaken out. You said XLE, right? There you go. Yeah, so the XLE, Ooh. it's a market cap weighted U.S. ETF of the largest um, U.S. oil and gas companies. Um, top names in this ETF include Chevron and ExxonMobil. Um, it's really a tug of war between the intermediate trend and the long-term trend. Um, definitely a bullish environment in the intermediate term for the oil and gas sector as the economy reopens. Uh, the manufacturing data, again, has been astounding. Um, you know, a lot of these seasonality trends, we have uh, people are going to be driving a lot. It's summertime. Uh, maybe people do some domestic travel because uh, that looks like it's going to be possible this year, although the international is pretty much a write-off. Um, and what do you see there, David? What do you see there technically? I'm just looking at the long term of the one year. Um, Seeing some honest, resistance at these moving averages. Yeah, not only did it, is it bouncing off in between these moving averages over like the monthly and the weekly, but I mean, <laughs> you, you know how I love my triangles, but it's forming in a wedge, man. It's forming a wedge, so... It's a weak one, though. Let's see if I can pull this out right. Looks like it'll take a while to play out, but I would say end of year, we have a little dump. September, yeah, September, January, we're going to get a nice little dump. I'm going to right there. That's Actually, why it's very important for us, because I, I, I said it was a tug of war between intermediate trend and long-term trend. Let's pop this up on a monthly, weekly or monthly, whatever you want. Uh, well, well, this is a weekly. Which what do you prefer? Uh, this one's more interesting. We got rejected off the... Uh, 200 actually. Well, let's look at a monthly All so right, we can really get the long-term trend. Ooh, death cross. Exactly. So whenever I look at any chart, I always ask myself, is the long-term trend up or down? The, this is clearly down. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of resistance there. Is that 55, right? Kind of where that crosses? I think there, there's right? a, yeah, I think right there's an evening right. star pattern forming right there, David. Yeah, you're right. <clears throat> What is this? Uh, monthly. Yeah, shit. We closed this month. Ooh. Uh, this month's going to be pretty critical, actually. Um, or actually, no. This month's what? April? We're still in April, right? I think May's going to be critical. If May closes below this you know, $39 level, we got a lot more downside. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's pretty critical right now. I mean, the only thing that's kind of positive is you got a divergence on the RSI here. It looks like a double bottom with a divergence. So it's given it a short-term kind of trend reversal, but... Like I said, th these next few weeks, these next four, four to six weeks are going to be pretty critical. Yeah, it looks like it's definitely coming down before it goes higher. Like even even last April, it looks like it was like on those red candles, those big top wicks and everything. Eh? Oh, these guys, eh? No, yeah. like oh. right after the big drop, like when it did its first bounce. Oh, look at yeah, that yeah. big drop right there. Oh, yeah, that's, that's right. Pressure. And then it comes back up right to that resistance line right to your moving averages. That's a perfect spot. Like if I was shorting that, that's beautiful. <laughs> like last year around that time it was really a dash for trash and people were bottom fishing for the worst stocks and yeah. now that the reopening is underway and the market's sort of recalibrating people are starting to really look at their portfolios and they want to hold quality names so that's mm -hmm. definitely important there but also fundamentally from a long-term point of view oil and gas is kind of a dirty word in this day and age uh in terms of esg investors want to put their dollars towards things that are green, things that are environmentally friendly. Like for example, a good uh, alternative to this would be uh, um, 
solar energy, wind energy. Uh, we could look at some of those ETFs if you guys want. However, um, I'm just here to make a non-biased point of view here. So the intermediate, definitely bullish, but the long-term is definitely bearish. Yeah, you're, look, look at this. Chevron's almost mirroring the uh, that ETF. Almost exactly. the exact same pattern. Yeah. Well, I believe it's the largest holding. I think it makes up anywhere from like 7 to 10% of the ETF. Right. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. What is yeah. the earnings expectations? 89 cents. A lot of those individual names aren't doing too hot either. Like, you know, like Enbridge and stuff like that. I was looking at those last year. They pay great dividends and everything, but their charts just don't look good. Yeah. The, uh, what was it? Historically, like spring is not good for energy stocks, isn't it? Is that, isn't that right? Oh, well, that I would right? say it'd be a good time to buy because you have the summer driving season, which is uh, really good for that uh, gas demand. That'd be short term, right? Like, I mean, overall, these things are these things are trickling down. Well, it is short term. And then you have to ask yourself, is it priced in? Yes or no. And I think it's largely priced in like energy is not something that I'm very excited about. If you want to look at a chart that I'm really excited about, a chart that when you look at you're really swimming with the current and not against it would be the NASDAQ IXIC. I'm just going to put this here to check it out in a few months. I'm calling Chevron to like fall Perfect. sometime in August. <laughs> uh, NASDAQ, you said? Yeah. NASDAQ. All time high, is it? Yeah. So the great thing about the NASDAQ is I said we were having an evening star on the monthly for um, the XLE. On the NASDAQ, I see a morning star there, a very beautiful morning star. The RSI is ticking up, got some rejection of that, like, I want to say 12,000 level. The month isn't over, though. We still have what, like uh, five trading days left? So mm -hmm. this is definitely something to watch. If you could uh, switch that to like a daily time frame. Yeah, I was just going to say, we got we had some indecision earlier to start the year. Right? Got a spinning top and like, what was that? A gravestone? Like yeah, we got two the, gravestones over there. Yeah. All right, so this is the weekly? Or you want daily? So pop it to the daily because the weekly is great because we see some rejection of the 13,000 level. But if you look at the daily, what was the word of our podcast last week we had one phrase that we just kept on saying over and over and over cup and handle oh <laughs> do you see it right there <laughs> like i don't even remember that that's all the same about 20 or 30 times <laughs> last week yeah that's right you yeah. know what you're right that was the theme that was the theme so beautiful I mean, cup and handle we didn't quite get that gap fill i was looking at a gap fill at 13.5 we didn't get it we got close enough uh, this week is going to be the catalyst for the NASDAQ. We have so many earnings. We have over a third of the S&P 500 reporting this week. We have Tesla on Monday. We have Google, Microsoft, Alphabet. Um, Alphabet is Google. Um, we got Amazon. We got Apple. We got pretty much all of the biggest, uh, most dominant companies that are going to um, move the NASDAQ. So this week is just a huge, huge uh, week here. I'm sorry, I'm just noticing little fractals because I'm starting to play with those a little bit on the charts. And like we had the same issue uh, play out last year, this little uh, cup and handle kind of thing going on. It was like a W bottom. But um, yeah, looks like we just had the same thing here one year later. And look, look, at the inverted, look at the inverted head and shoulders. It's playing out right now. It played out last time. Yeah. Uh, and that was that uh, October, November consolidation. And we were just waiting for the catalyst being the election. Yes, you were just right. literally treading water for the whole um, that whole campaign period. Yeah, and right. now uh, the catalyst this time earnings.
and look, even the moving averages are playing around just just right the right right around the right area. Is that the fifty day? It's crossing over there. Yeah, it's the fifty. The lighter one's the fifty. The darker is the two hundred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the reason why we have these pullbacks is just a profit taking event, and uh, when the price gets too high above its moving averages, it just self-corrects. The moving averages move up, the price moves down, hits some sort of equilibrium, and then off we go. And that's why I love um, investing for the long term. It's a long-term endeavor here, and uh, you buy the pullbacks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we got even a little bit of a stronger signal than the last time. We have um, divergence here. It's a very faint one, but it's there. So... It's playing up. We've got some short-term momentum. So as long as the good news keeps coming, I think we're going to be pretty strong. Do you guys want to look at Bitcoin? Let's look at Bitcoin real quick just because um, of the massive drop lately. There we go. When did that come down? April. So I think, do you remember, was this day the blackout, the 18th? Blackout in yeah, there was, a very, there was a very long lower wick. Mm -hmm. That's that's. The, I think that was the twenty percent day. That yeah. was on a Saturday night. Or, or fifteen, fifteen, yeah, fifteen percent day. It was twenty percent drop in I think a matter of minutes. Actually, you know what was funny? I was live looking at the charts those those minutes, and it was like, once it hit a certain What's level, happening? once you hit a certain level, you could tell that there was like the the liquidity just went thin, and just like the stop just kept getting busted. There's no buyers. Oh, yeah. It just went boom. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Oh, I love it well, when I see like that. Finance's order book just got destroyed, right? Yeah. Oh, I was so mad. That, so I was one of the lucky ones. I had two lowball orders, one on Binance, one on – Kaylee, I was telling you, on the Canadian exchange, I had the lowball orders. And they both hit, uh, but it wasn't completely filled. But, like, people who were trying to, like, get orders, I was look, looking at them on Twitter. They're, like, bitching out Binance and CZ because none of their orders are taking place. Just not enough liquidity? Well, I, I don't know what it was. They said their engines were their whatever matching engines were overloaded, but buyers couldn't buy and sellers couldn't sell. And we just watch this thing tank and like oh, it's like the most helpless feeling. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah, I know sometimes like you get those really fast moves, it, it can like wick right through your your buyer, your sellers, and it won't fill you. But I've never I've never just seen it lock up on both sides. It locked up on both sides, so I don't know what the hell was going on. But um, uh, but there was a giant power out in China, one province. So. So a lot of the mining is in China, and, and the, the miners actually migrate depending on the province because they're always looking for the cheapest energy. So China right now is going through this thing called the dry season, and there's one province they have the cheapest energy anywhere. So all the miners are, are there. And apparently that province had a power out like for like 24 hours or something like that, and it took out – the report was it took out 40% of the Bitcoin hash power, but it's more like something like 20%. Mm -hmm. um, but that report, along with Coinbase failure – and this and that fight about the treasury uh, was a money laundry, was it? Like yeah. there's those three things happened at the same time, and it just set yeah. the price like straight down. Yeah, but even like technically, like what do you think of this thing now? Like I know you talked about you're thinking it's going to come down to like forty three, like forty or something like that. Like those are the those are the support lines for sure. Okay, so technically we're forming a bear flag right here. I'm pretty certain. Um, you could create like a downwards channel like a diagonal channel. You guys love your uh, diagonal support and resistance lines. So, oh, that's I one. Diagonal. Okay, so let's go to a daily first. You could look at your Fibonacci's in a second, but let's go to the yeah, daily yeah. first. Yeah, there we go. Daily, here we go. So you're never going to go up and down in a straight line. You're always going to have a counter trend bounce. This weekend was a counter trend bounce. 
And it looks like we just tested that top end of the channel. For me, I wasn't using a falling wedge. I was using more so uh, like a one hour. Um, I was on the one hour time frame using a 50 period moving average. And right. we just kind of, yeah, we just kind of bounced off of that. Bull flag, we're just making lower and lower lows on like a five or 15 minute period. Mm -hmm. This thing's just going to cling to that, I want to say like $47,000, $48,000 level. And then we're going to have another waterfall. Yeah, I think um, I think we got one more trip back up, but we're gonna get rejected. Hard. Um, we're gonna get rejected again by the fifty, right? And then that's what's gonna take us down to the two hundred. Yeah, like when I'm looking at that, I'm seeing you know we had three times basically where it, it tried to really break to new highs. It did it three times, and every single time it just barely got out, and then it came down, and barely got out, and then it came down. So like now that we're selling right off like that, if it does end up bouncing back up to the top, everybody who's still in, who's underwater, is going to sell into that 100%. Because they're going to say, oh, 100%. Waiting for this thing to shoot up, and it didn't shoot up. So now as soon as they get back up there, they, they're going to take their profits. Well, we've been in a period of distribution since like 30,000. Like, mm -hmm. I feel yeah. like we've been having the smart money sell to the dumb money. And uh, David, I'm not sure if you have any insight on that based on the wallets. Uh, and everything else. I know you did a piece on that danger zone. Um, but no, this goes uh, back to the quote that we were talking about earlier is that um, markets are a tool for transferring money from the impatient to the patient. Yeah, no, you're you're right. The um, the unchecked data supports a distribution, um, it, but not from investors, uh, but actually from miners. Because if people remember, mm -hmm. They basically stopped selling in 2018. So all of 2019, they were mining, but accumulating. They weren't. They weren't selling because Bitcoin price was pretty, pretty low. Um, I think at the time, the estimates were miners were break even around eight thousand dollars. So if you're selling anywhere below eight thousand, you're at a loss. So miners are just accumulating. And um, what happened was in January they started. Let me go to the weekly so it's easier to look. But basically, as soon as we hit new all-time highs uh, in January, this entire period this entire period, miners were dumping hard. It's actually slowed down towards the end of uh, March, but this entire period, they were basically dumping a year's worth of, of Bitcoin that they were mining. I mean, that's a lot of supply. That's gonna reduce your volatility a lot too, then if that's the case, because they're basically just increasing the flow, right? Which yeah, could, I mean, if you're a long-term investor, I mean, that's a good thing, because you don't really want those crazy price swings. Oh yeah, it's it's long term bullish, and it's great that miners are cashing in because then there's going to be more miners. You're going to be able to sustain their business. So fundamentally, it's a great thing. But from an investor or trader's perspective, I mean, if if all that supply was released in this period and it got absorbed, it begs the question: Who's buying now? Like, where does anybody want to buy now? Like, has supply met demand? Right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's what we're seeing in the charts. It's like um, it's not like it's not necessarily that we're going into a bear market, but the, the question is: Who wants to buy? And who wants to buy it at sixty thousand dollars? Yeah, exactly. Well, I think by definition, guys, a bear market is a twenty percent drawdown from an all-time high or peak. So, it is, but, but Bitcoin is we're is essentially piece. we're essentially in a bear market. If not right now, uh, we're going to be getting into one. What the I, is this I think this thing's entering bear market, man. Um, I, I think that we're going lower than that two hundred personally. You know, that's not uh, an impossible scenario, too. I mean, historically, that could also be very accurate. Um, mostly, most of the time, there's a, there, because of the halving, we kind of know how the bull market and bear markets operate. So we should technically have another six months left. But this could very well be the top. I mean, 
looks like a double top to me. So, but if we know. all know what's going to happen, then none of us know. When we're yeah, all thinking right. the same thing, no one's thinking anything. We'll, so, we'll touch on the uh, efficient market hypothesis next week because that's something interesting. Next stuff. week, I, I, yeah. I can't wait to get into that. That's going to be a yeah. great discussion. Um, but yeah, but I Kayla, see you, you got out of your positions, right? Yeah, I sold uh, I sold most of mine at uh, sixty three, and I bought an ATV. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> that's, looks that's a good year. Much, but you know, I, I saw it try to break out a couple times and fail. I was like, yeah, I don't like that. So I took my profits, and you know, here we are. We're 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 coming down again. So I'll wait for another buy spot. And I think that's just it. Like, there's a lot of people who are wise, either from just experience or from the last few cycles, but they know when to take profit. You know. And they're mm -hmm. probably enjoying their winnings and they probably set some lower buy orders. And um, yeah, I mean, the only people I think that are crying right now, the ones that thought Bitcoin was going to go to half a million and Dogecoin was going to go to 10 bucks. And it's like, you know, crypto can do amazing things, but nothing does those things. Like, yeah, it's that same old here. story, man. Nobody ever went broke taking profits along the way. 100%. Bitcoin sells dreams, guys. Bitcoin absolutely sells dreams. And if you were buying at like 50, 60,000, you didn't have an exit plan. Like, what do you do now? You bought Bitcoin at 50 or 60,000, yeah. thinking that it was going to go to like 600,000 and you would 10 times your money. Like, that's the story that we've been hearing for the last, what, 12 years for Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, there's too actually, many wallets that are in profit right now. So it's naturally you're going to see profit taking and the more people that, yeah. that go, yeah, the more people that go negative, the more people that you're going to have sell, the more people that you have sell, the more people that go negative. So the dominoes are starting to fall. At some point, there's going to come a level where people are going to want to buy. But right now it's not 48,000. It's not 50,000. It's lower than that. Mm hmm. Yeah, it'll be um, interesting to see like how how it kind of sets in with like if people actually panic out of it. Like if you get that really quick, you know, just waterfall sell off, or it's just going to kind of trickle down and find support, find new buyers, and keep going along, right? Because that's you know, like I know in Tesla, we saw a lot of that. We saw a lot of that panic, like those big fast sell offs, and we see that before in Bitcoin. But I, I'm curious to see if we see that now with uh, with the increased uh, mining and everything, if that's going to keep happening, or if we're just going to you know start consolidating and just make those slower moves, and it's just going to kind of you know, become a, a slow growth stock. I think you're right about that. It depends on time too, right? If it comes down slowly, you can call it a consolidation phase and we can yes. possibly go back up. But if it just sinks like a rock, then like the market's momentum driven, right? So if it, the faster it comes down, the more it's going to come down. So well, there's a price consolidation and there's a time consolidation. And those I would both say are two different types of corrections. Mm -hmm. So yeah, if absolutely. I were a Bitcoin bull, which I'm obviously not, I would want it to come down and form like a nice like hammer doji on some high volume, like a really, really fat wick. And for us to really bounce off of that with nice momentum, but we're not seeing that. We're just seeing like a, a bear flag just slowly being printed on the daily time frame. You don't want to see that. Mm -hmm. It's just grueling. And that's how bear markets start. Bear markets start when no one expects it. And when you get these bull traps and you keep people waiting for the next pop and uh, they're just grueling and you only recognize when you're in a bear market after it's already happened and it's too late to sell. So yeah. good for you for selling. I think that's awesome. You'll probably have some much better entries in the coming weeks and we'll just have to see how this plays out. Yeah, it's, it's funny yeah. how a lot of people like 
you know, they, they think when they see these really big fast moves that it's, it's chaos and it's panic and everything. But the dangerous ones are like you just said, when you get that just really slow move, like, you know, for me, I'm a short seller. So all the guys that get blown out short selling, when you get those just really tight, slow grinds all the way up because they're trying to add on a big pop, but you don't really get a big pop. And then you're already in the position and you keep adding and adding and adding and it just keeps slowly, slowly going against you. It's the same thing on the downside. It's like if you're trying to dip by, just keep slowly, slowly going against you. And you're like, okay, well, maybe I'll buy here. Maybe I'll buy here. You need those big moves to hit the bottom because those really slow moves, you just keep adding and adding and adding. And then eventually everybody's position is so big to the long or the short side, eventually everybody's going to bail. And that's when you're going to get that massive move to the downside or the upside. Like I, I see that all the time in small caps and it plays out on large caps on the daily as well. That's so true. And what about stimulus checks, guys? Okay, let's go to the stimulus checks. Uh, well, because well, everyone got their last stimulus check in the US, what, like a month ago? So that money's been largely deployed. If you were going to deploy that into crypto, you already did. I don't know if there's another stimulus check on the horizon. I don't think so. I haven't heard anything, though. Um, so fucking Biden's tax plan. So he's got a $2 trillion infrastructure plan. But those fucking Democrats, and Trudeau's doing it here in Canada, too. They are redefining what infrastructure means. It traditionally means roads, bridges, fundamental stuff for the city to operate. Now they're calling social infrastructure. So that means social programs. That means <laughs> welfare and checks. It's yeah. just these fucking people. Yeah. 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 I still drive on a broken road to work every day, but you know. <laughs> and so, 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 so here's my problem with it, right? So it's like, like if somebody heard me heard me say that comment just early, they must be like, "Oh, I'm a rich snob. I don't look it." But let's just say they'll probably think I'm a rich snob. I don't want poor people to get money. But here's the problem: like, let's just take Trudeau's budget. Right? They want to give 89 billion dollars next year to this enhanced welfare program they're calling UBI. It's not UBI; it's enhanced welfare. Right? Sending uh, about I think uh, uh, I think two or three million Canadian uh, $2,400, dollars $24, for the year. Right? And I'm like. That's $89 billion you could invest in, say, businesses, grants, loans, wage subsidies for small businesses, medium-sized businesses. Why don't you grow the fucking economy, right? If you, if you give wage subsidy to maybe 1,000 small businesses, they could hire those 3 million Canadians. Yeah. I agree with you 1,000%, man. I've had this conversation so many times. It's, it's unbelievable. My, my buddy actually told me, he told me the best analogy the other day. I thought it was hilarious. He says... Imagine you have like a little tribe of monkeys. He's like, you say, okay, this one, you say, okay, you two monkeys, you got to go out and get, go get bananas so that you can, so that you guys can eat. And the one monkey says, no, I don't want to go out. And then he says, okay, well, I'm going out because I want to eat. And then he goes out, gets his banana. He comes back. And then the tribe leader says, you got to split your banana with the other monkey. And you say, well, why? I went out and got my own, I got my own uh, banana. He says, well, he needs to eat too. So give him half your banana. And then the other monkey is going to sit down there the next day and say, well, I'm not going out now. If I just got to give up half my banana anyway, somebody else will go do it. And then eventually nobody does anything and the economy doesn't grow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That was, like, that's I, a really good analogy for that. I thought it was I'm great. Like, <laughs> but you, you know, it's weird. So I'm like a pessimist in general, but I want to be an optimist on humanity. And I want to, and I, the reason I would say that is because I feel like if people had work and earned their money, they'll feel a lot better than getting a check. Yeah, I'm sorry. I just got to say, just as a sidetrack, I think it's hilarious. You say, I want to be an optimist on humanity. And all you do is just like buy guns and like talk about <laughs> and everything. Like, dude, don't lie. You're not an optimist. <laughs> I said I wanted to be. There's a qualifier there. I want to be an optimist. Sorry. Right? Sorry. Go on. <laughs> no, you did call me out, though. It's, it's very accurate. 
<laughs> gotta yeah. have plan B. Yeah, oh, yeah, it's true though. I mean, like you know, that's you, you hit you hit it right on the head. I mean, it's like Jeff Bezos. He's a great example, you know. When they're talking about implementing taxes on rich people, and they're saying, "Oh, he's got you know 180 billion dollars. Why? Like, what's he complaining about paying taxes?" It's like you guys don't realize he's he's made what two and a half million jobs for Americans, Canadians, and that's you know, so say 10 million people. Let's say they all have families, right? 10 million people he's providing lives for. I mean, to me, like. You know, let the guy enjoy his money. He's created a, a city, like a country almost by himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and actually, um, just uh, not this earnings report, but I think two before that, I was reading their breakdown and their um, Amazon Marketplace. A lot of the revenue is coming from Amazon Marketplace. So that's people who are selling products on Amazon and they're paying for fulfillment services. I mean, they're supporting small businesses. If you have a small business, you don't want to do your fulfillment. You don't want to have a warehouse. Amazon. Yeah. It's it's perfect. And they can hire people and get more people working, get more people jobs. And any job is going to make you more money than welfare or stimulus checks ever will. So, yeah, I don't know. Well, Amazon's great because it's been like the bridge between the old world and the new world in terms of retailing. So if you've been uh, like a brick and mortar retailer that's sort of struggling in this new paradigm, then Amazon's great. And same with Shopify. Mm-hmm. So they're exactly. really facilitating that uh, digital transformation, and they're helping yeah. people. And yeah. I want to just give out—I'll give—I'll give out the secret sauce right now because I know very su- successful business within the last five years that did it. They went through—they were manufacturer went through Amazon uh, Marketplace to sell their products. That was their customer acquisition source. They used Shopify to make their main website and sell their own stuff. And so people discovered them through Amazon. And whenever they ship product, they add a little card, say, "Go to our website. We'll give you ten percent discount." And they converted those sales to their website. Very successful business. It's so that's so simple. Anybody can do that. At least that portion, you know. Yeah, I know. I was actually talking to one of my buddies at work, and he said like one of his good friends did a similar thing. He said he uh, his uh, he has like a couple a couple kids that are like you know two three years old or whatever, and they have like TV trays, I guess, for in cars. And he said that all the TV trays he was trying to find for his kids were like garbage, like it wouldn't hold their juice and their food would fall all over the place. He's like, this is stupid. So he ended up reaching out to a company in China, like going through the whole process, getting one manufactured. It's, you know, you just stamp it out of a sheet of plastic, did the same thing, went to Amazon Marketplace, got them to set it up, got them to ship it. And he ended up quitting his job. He Like now he does that full time, like right. just through Amazon. And he's hired, like, you know, yeah, he hired an accountant. He hired someone to help him do his orders and stuff. So he's, he's given other people jobs now through that. I love that. That's like the, the, the old saying, mother, the, the necessity is the mother of all invention. Because mm-hmm. I think where a lot of people fail when they're starting businesses is they're trying to solve problems that don't exist. They're creating products that solve no problem, right? That's yeah. like, so that's, it goes back to my thing about you need to go out there and do stuff. Once you do stuff, you feel you're going to run into problems. And then once you run into a problem, you can think of a solution, right? Yeah. And, so, and you, so like if you're just sitting at home and doing nothing, then you're not going to run into any problems that are really going to help society, right? And you're not going to find a solution that'll make you any money. So you just, what are you doing? You have to go out there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, do you it's, have it's, any insights on the tax plan in terms of any specifics? Um, I mean, just, I, I, I didn't read the whole thing. The only thing I, I saw was the headline catching, like they're going to raise what capital tax gains from 20 to 40% was it was. Like, like you, you watch the all-in podcast like I do. Like Chamath and those guys are, are bang on. They're VCs. So I thought they know, did a right? great job covering that. Yeah. So, so Kalen, what they're basically saying is like, if you're disincentivizing people to with wealth to invest uh, in, the, in their money to companies and to the economy, um, then you're effectively hurting the economy, right? Mm-hmm. Or they're going to give these people um, 
incentive to find ways to get around taxes. And they're always loopholes, right? Especially for the rich. They can set up shell companies, whatever, right? And so what happens is it's whatever happens, it's going to be a negative for the taxpayers. And yeah. so like raising, yeah. So yeah. raising capital tax gains is just, it's, a, it's, a, it's an absurd thing to do. Yeah. All, all it's going to do is, is open up a business where people will be able to avoid taxes more. I mean, like people that are making really good money, that's, you know, they, they know how to get around the system. They're, they know how to do it, you know, legally move stuff around, open businesses that don't exist, you know, move it around for different purposes. Like there's, there's a million different ways I could just name off the top of my head and I don't even do it. Right. So it's, it's, it's just, I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me. Well, well, they raised another point. They said they, they suspect Biden might be doing it for optics, like because it yeah. seems like it's the on-trend thing to do right now to like shit the shit on the rich and support the poor. It doesn't matter if it doesn't make any sense. Like if you, as long as you look like you're doing that, you get some votes. Mm -hmm. Well, so I think it's, it's more of like a, like a bargaining chip. Like I feel like he's going to mm -hmm. the table and he's saying forty percent. And like this has to go through Congress. This is going to take many, many months. Maybe it only goes from twenty to thirty. Which is still crazy because I believe Obama raised it from 15 to 20, which was like a, you know, a 5% gain, whatever. But um, that's a lot. Like you're over doubling it. So, However, there is one silver lining though, guys. And uh, I think, Kaylin, you would uh, have some insight in this. Do you guys think it's going to incentivize more long-term investing? Because um, they're not raising the dividend tax rate. They're only raising the capital gains. So yeah, people may be incentivized to hold on to their positions to the long term and just not sell them, just hold on to them forever. Something like an Apple or a Home Depot, get their 2% dividend and uh, take the dividends at a lower tax rate and just let the capital just grow and never uh, dig into the principal. Yeah, but on, the, on that side of things, I mean, we, we've spoken about this before on podcasts is that without people selling, the markets don't act the way that they act. Like it would completely change the whole structure of how stocks behave. If everybody or, you know, if, if you flip that percentage and say another 20 percent are all just buying stocks, I mean, short sellers, profit takers, dip buyers, all that stuff is what creates the economy and keeps it stable. Right. If if everybody's just buying and buying and everybody's holding forever and ever and ever, if that that's just what we talked about 10 minutes ago, you get that little steady upstream because nobody's profit taking. And then all of a sudden one thing happens and you just have a completely catastrophic waterfall to the downside because everybody panics. I think that's a really good point. I mean, the, the, the whole idea of having a, a, an open, a free and open market is price discovery, right? If you start to make these rules and incentives for certain to do certain actions, then you're not really getting true price discovery, right? So in that scenario, let's say you incentivize people to hold for the long term uh, these dividend stocks. What if like Ford comes out and says, you know what, we're, we're, we're losing revenue. We're not selling as many IC cars. We're going to cut the dividends. Can you imagine the, the, the dump of that stock that day? Yeah. Right? destroy the company if everybody's just holding right like, well the real question is i don't i don't think we have any insight on this but is this going to be like retroactive like are you going to be taxed on companies that you already have gains on or is it going to be just companies that you'll have gains on in the future and i don't think we have an answer to that yet i think it would be anything you have because if you've owned so if it's anything that you have i think you would see the selling start right now yep. mm. Potentially, yeah. I, I guess depending how long you've been in it, yeah, yeah. But just, I mean, to play, you know, to, to look at the other side, and then you'd want to reallocate your portfolio, right, towards things that maybe you wouldn't want to sell, like names that you just kind of want to hold on to. I could see both sides of the coin, actually. Yeah, like I'm just kind of thinking of it from like a political standpoint because you know, I mean, 
as sad as it is, most of the time politicians are just in it to be reelected, right? So if you're looking at it from that standpoint, you know, what's what's the percentage of wealthy? Is it like 5% or something like that of the population? So if you're looking at it from that perspective, then if he's only taxing the wealthy, that's helping so many more people that can get him more votes and stuff too, right? Like if I just look at it from a political standpoint, so you know I don't what? know how much, how much weight is on that. On that point, I think I remember the number was something like 800 billion or 300 billion uh, over eight years. That's not, it's not actually that much. It's not that much. No. So, and while no. he may be playing to his base, at the same time, I feel like the middle class is participating in the stock market more and more, especially over the past year with all the stimulus checks going into Bitcoin and the stock market. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure how many votes he's going to win with this. Yeah, because it's tricky, too, because, I mean, you know, as as we keep going into inflation and stuff like that with the housing market and all this kind of stuff, like they're saying they're taxing people that make over a million bucks a year. I mean, that bracket of people is growing every year just because of inflation. Right. So everybody's saying all the, you know, the rich and powerful and the super famous. I mean, that's that's not really the, you know, quote unquote, the rich and powerful anymore. That's just kind of upper middle class at this point. You know, the guys on the upper, um, the All In podcast made a good point. They're like saying like, they're like, if we're going to get taxed this much, we just won't take that money. We have a pool of money that was going to be invested. We can't now, we can't invest it now because of that. Why don't we still do some social good with it? So they came up with some ideas. They're like, uh, one of them was, why don't we create a pool of money? It's like Warren Buffett's The Giving Pledge is going to give away half his net worth. It's like, why don't we create this giant pool of money, have a bunch of billionaires sign up, and then every newborn we're going to give them a thousand dollars worth of shares in like an Apple or like in a Tesla or in like some kind of like nice growth group, low growth plus blue chip stock, like a basket of stocks and just let have, just give it to them for the, for their life. And they can't sell it for like 20, 30 years. And that's effectively going to be the retirement or something like that. I think cool. that would be a lot better because I mean, because like you're, you're, you're benefiting the economy as well as the individual. I mean, these are people like, especially for lower class people that can't get into stocks, especially that early. You just got a nice, nice head start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really interesting thought. Yeah. Even if it's a really small amount of money, the power of yeah. compounding, that could really turn into a substantial amount. Absolutely. The yeah. only question is who determines what stocks are being bought? Like, is it the S&P 500? Is it really broad based? Would the parents have a choice of what stocks and just in terms of like some favoritism there, like emerging markets or, or uh, Russell 2000? Like, there's a lot of different questions there. Obviously, <laughs> no. I, I'd, I'd probably just S and P makes sense to me. You know? Yeah, I was gonna say like maybe just split it between S and P, Nasdaq, and the Dow or something like that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you want to invest in the economy, so just spread it around a little bit. I mean, the idea is to get this pool of money, put it to good use twice, because once in the economy and once uh, you know as a shareholder for this for this newborn. So, hmm. yeah, this really is why this is why I think politicians should really consult people in this business before they make decisions about this business, you know? Like I don't know where they're getting from. Like, it's like, we need to have more businessmen in politics. Make a lot more sense. Yeah, I think, I think all of them look at politics, you're like, I could make a thousand times more and have like way less stress. Like, why would I do this? Trip? Yeah, exactly. Like anybody who's a really good businessman would not be a politician because they'd be like, well, I can make ma- way more money being a businessman. So why would I be a politician? And it's just low key too. It's yeah. low key, but uh, uh, sorry, I was just going to say, and you could just hire lobbyists. You want some policies? Just get a couple of lobbyists. Get get you know, massage the the legislation the legislation a little bit. You still yeah. get your way. Yeah, it's funny. Like I, just on that point, Brandon, you said it's low key. I just 
going to tell you a quick story. I remember the first time I went to Vegas when I was 21, I went with my buddy and I had, uh, we walked into the Tom Ford store, which is like, you know, suit store, really high end stuff. Yeah. Walk in there and I have like flip flops and a tank top on. I'm just looking around because I'm like, wow, you know, there's a $20,000 silk robe and all this stuff. Every room I went into, the salesmen are like, like, oh, can I help you try anything on? Can I do this? And, you know, me and my buddy, I finally looked at the guys and I'm like, do I really look like I can afford anything in here? And the guy looks at me, he's, he goes, to be honest, the guys that come in dressed like you usually walk out of here spending about 50,000 bucks. The guys who come in here dressed up in suits and ties, they either don't buy anything so or buy the cheapest wallet we have. <laughs> Absolutely. I was like, Absolutely. it's interesting. Yeah, no, I, I, it's true. Like the people who front, like they have that, go out of their way to show that they have money really don't don't have that much it's, it's i know it's funny crazy thing. <laughs> just so, uh, uh, looking at time right now i think we should yeah. probably uh maybe dive into the small caps if kaylin wants to give us a rundown yeah, of what happened over the past week with small caps that'd be great yeah i can just touch on that stuff really quick so yeah just like from what i'm seeing i mean we had the whole like dogecoin thing crypto thing kind of go crazy so the past two weeks, like I didn't take any trades because I didn't see anything I liked. All the day traders that I followed, swing traders and stuff, they were all losing money. You know, I just kind of wasn't really seeing much action. I mean, I do a scan every night and usually like on a normal week, I'll get anywhere from like 20 to 40 stocks and like, you know, a handful of them will look good. Like I was getting maybe five or six a night for about two weeks straight. So there's nothing going on, nothing really great. And at the same time, we're seeing like Dogecoin and everything. You know, everybody's talking about that. Everybody's all hyped about that. And then, uh, you know, coincidentally, as soon as that started to kind of tank, it was last uh, Thursday, I think, was when it kind of started to broke that trend line down. We saw Thursday, Friday, and small caps all started to heat rate back up again. I started to see, you know, it was like six stocks every night on my scanner, and then all of a sudden it was 12, and then it was 20 again. And so it just, it just kind of gives you guys a good perspective of, like, where that money flow is going. Um, so you saw, like, less potential good setups. Yeah, like, yeah, nothing was moving. I mean, normally when, you know, you'll have like a handful of stocks that are up, you know, 40, 50, 60% or more, like you, we were getting like maybe one or two that were up like 15% kind of thing. So there, there just wasn't anything going on because I think all the attention was on Dogecoin. And the other thing too, like we really haven't had a slow market in small caps since like basically a year ago because of all the stimulus checks, because that kind of coincided, everybody stayed at home. So, you know, what do you do when you stay at home? Everybody sees, oh, this stock went up 100% overnight. Wow, I should start trading. So all the people started trading the small caps because those are the volatile ones. And then you get the stimulus checks. They put all that money back in and then you get more stimulus. They put all that money back in. So we never really had like, like a slow time in the market. So I just, I just want to touch on that quick for anybody that does trade those is, you know, at, at, there is times when it happens. You just got to sit on your hands, wait for it to heat back up. It always does. You know, it's just, it just kind of goes in cycles and, the biggest thing to remember is just, you know, make sure that you're doing trades that make sense. Like I said, I didn't trade for two weeks because I just didn't see anything. And I was like, I don't I don't risk my money unless I know I'm going to make money, basically. So I just wanted to, David, if you wouldn't mind just kind of pulling up your yeah. trade, if you got it handy. I just wanted okay. to I just wanted to touch on something else kind of uh, just related to volume and flow. If you go to OCGN, the chart there. Oh, were you talking about that in the week? Yeah, yeah. I think I mentioned this earlier. So this so, yeah. company is really interesting because I think they're trying to cure blindness. Is that true? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's kind of their their uh, report. They kicked the whole thing off. You want to go to just maybe like the five minute chart or something like that? Five minute. I love the time frames <laughs> that you use. <laughs> I, I was just gonna say like holy I was, shit. I was, gonna say, I was gonna say three minute, but I was like, all right, we'll go. Five. Look at that volume on the dump, man. That's yeah, massive. That's what I wanted to talk about. So this so this stock is 180 million float. 
Um, so the volume on Friday that we had was four, just over 400 million volume, which is absolutely massive. So typically like in small caps, you know, we're, we're looking at stuff that's trading, you know, maybe around like 15 to like 40 million volume in a day. And they're usually around like, you know, 10 to 30, 40 million float on average. So this to me is kind of a good indicator that I think small caps might be heating up again in the next couple of weeks. Cause what I'm seeing here is when you get that much volume and it's 180 million float, it trades like a small cap, like it trades like a stock that's got 30 million shares, which is why everybody was in it. And everybody's so desperate for, for a trade because, you know, a lot of people, that's all they do is trade these small caps for a living. Everybody focuses on this one that's moving. So I think that this this kind of might be one of the kickers that kind of starts to heat it up a little bit. You know, we have Dogecoin selling off, all those altcoins yeah. selling off. People don't really care about those as much anymore. Um, so eventually it's all going to come back into these small caps. And that's that's just one of the things to always kind of keep an eye on is, is that volume related to float. So if you're seeing a stock that's got, you know, like I, like I say, I don't really like the trade stuff that's over 40 million float, 50 million float. Um, but if I see something like that where it's, you know, it's a it's 180 million float and it's got 400 million volume, I mean, that that's going to trade like it's, you know, a 10 million float stock with, you know, 20 million volume, which is perfect. So I just kind of wanted to point that out and just show like these kind of moves. Um, what's another good one here? I had um, BTX. If you want to pull that one up quick again on the one on the five minute there. That one, one. If you if you were to show me that chart and told me it was a crypto, I would have believed you. Yeah. <laughs> hey, small caps came first, man. Crypto looks like small caps. <laughs> what time frame is this on? A daily or a weekly? Daily. It's a daily. daily. Okay. Yeah. What is this? What is that? That's a blue sky breakup, man. Yeah. So like, look, like these are beautiful charts, right? You get all these big spikes and they just get sold into. So like these ones they are just always fill, don't they? Always. Yeah. And then it's just perfect opportunity to show like like that one if you see that like in the middle that exactly that filled that uh gap from <laughs> i can't see it so small does it say february like perfectly yeah 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 zoom in a little bit more there david just so you can see kind of the last, yeah just kind of the last like week or so yeah so this this is kind of another good example like you know here we just had you know we had a big green day and then we had a little red day like it just kind of as it was moving up there Another big green day, little red day. Another big green day, little red day. Like that. That again. Like this. This one, I think, is only like a million float or something like that. So it's like it's like a micro cap stock, so it moves really well. But but this is just another example of you know if you look at the volume on those first few green days, like I think it was only like maybe two or three million shares it was trading. So there wasn't really much going on. But like everybody's just so desperate for these plays that you know the volume just starts to come in and in and in. And like if this if this had been I don't know three four weeks ago. You know, I bet this thing would have shot right up to like 30 bucks probably in a day from like five bucks, like easily if this had enough attention on it. So it's just kind of, a, you know, keep an eye on the float versus the volume on these things. And I just wanted to mention, you know, if, if the markets are slow, just just sit back. I mean, it's like we say, no matter what you're trading, it's it's you got to let the you got to let the stocks come to you. Like You can't make the market do what you want it to. So I just want to touch on that because I know a lot of guys I was following this week were losing a lot of money the past couple of weeks. And. I didn't lose anything because I just didn't trade. So I didn't see anything I liked. So sometimes well, that's the thanks best. Thanks for showing that to us. I, uh, I have something that you're absolutely going to love, Kalen. Okay, bring it on. <laughs> David, punch out oh. IWM. This is a small cap index. Are you? Russell 2000. Oh, yeah. Pop yeah. that up on a daily and a weekly. Look at those wicks, man. We got some higher highs. We broke a... Um, 
Um, looks like a uh, like a bullish uh, symmetrical triangle here. Oh yeah, that is very very bullish. Starting Perfect. to see the volume tick up. We got some higher highs in the RSI. Yeah, that looks great. Yeah, but see them pop it up on a weekly. You'll see the wicks. Yeah, the wicks I'm talking past, about. Past two weeks there, it's just kind of consolidating. Whoa. Right, so. Look at those wicks, man. This thing's going higher. We're going to start seeing the small caps heating up. Perfect. Yeah, I think, I think once the small caps start heating up, that's when you're really going to see all those garbage crypto stocks just fade off to zero because that's all it is. It's just, it's just an excitement thing. And that's what small caps are. I mean, you know, they come well, up with people some. People don't care what they're trading, man. They just, they're in it for the money. Yeah. All these people in these small cap cryptos that tell me they're in it for the tech. No. It's not true. Yeah. It was like my, yeah, even one of the guys I was what? talking to the other day said he put like 500 bucks into Dogecoin at like 43 cents and it was down to, you know, 20 the other day. And he's like, oh yeah, I'm just going to hold it until it goes back to break even. I'm like, oh man. <laughs> Do you guys see Bitcoin right now? 47,000 breaking down before our eyes. Oh, is it? Yep. They must have listened to our podcast, man. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, no, I was just going to say real quick, this looks like a fulcrum bottom, kind of. Am I getting that right? Almost a fulcrum bottom. Yeah, this will be the fulcrum. So that's... As long as we start seeing like a higher high next week, then I would agree completely. Mm -hmm. Oh, is that what... I don't, I don't know what the, uh, the factors are for determining that. So, but I just thought I saw it before. Oh, this so this high looks high. like the exact pattern that we saw last week. And that was like right when we put our podcast out. We put it out. Bitcoin was like 55,000. We made our bearish call. It dumped right after. I think we could have the, the same, same pattern play out here. Mm -hmm. I just want to say, so it's got a buy signal on, on the MRI, but that's a different thing. But so I wanted to say like, there, usually when you see a long week like that and you get, you get a, you get two down days like we're probably going to go lower i mean because this wick was all the buyers anybody yeah. that wanted to buy it that wanted to deal they bought it back up and we're still going back down so there's no support here there's nothing well there's no support there and i was telling you guys this last week whenever i see a long wick like that sometimes it foreshadows what's to come so i think that wick was just singling we're not ready to trade at that level yet but we're going to be doing it soon the rsi is signaling that because the rsi is showing lower lows here we're closing at the low of the day if the day closes here that's a low and if that happens man like that bottom's going to break well look at the uh the weekly it's like that's the messed up candle and the monthly is going to close soon too and that's not going you're going to win your bet this week man <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't get me excited don't get me excited well i already won mine <laughs> oh did you yeah making side bets over here man i don't made you know, a bet on top of your bet don't you know derivatives are dangerous didn't you watch yes. that movie they're <laughs> very very dangerous they are what are you doing i went against break? one of my rules <laughs> well this was almost a sure thing though right oh well, man. it's interesting to see bitcoin dumping but the alts are holding up pretty well actually oh i was just gonna say i do have the um Bitcoin dominance chart that I just started looking at recently. Um, a chart start charting recently. So this is Bitcoin versus altcoins. And as the price moves down, it means Bitcoin is becoming a, a smaller and smaller share of the entire crypto market. And I hate it broke that. down hard in December, January. Yeah, I know, me too. And it broke like down that. hard in uh, January 1st. And that's kind of when the alt season started. And this is the last alt season. Uh, no, sorry. This was the last alt season. So right here. Mm. So. This last alt season, Bitcoin dropped ooh, 50%. So in this one, we are, 
Uh, just at 30, but I'm hoping we bounce. So I'm thinking we bounce around the 50 or the 618 FIB, and we go back up to like maybe 57% or something like that. Uh, because if Bitcoin continues to come down, uh, alts are going to lead way more than Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. That's the thing about those coins. Like when you look at all those junk coins and stuff like that, you know, I mean, the three of us know as well as anybody, a lot of that stuff's garbage and it's coming back to zero and everything, but you can never predict the top. Like, it just matters on market sense. I mean, you get enough people excited. I mean, Dogecoin could go to five hundred dollars in a month. It can, and it, it could, right? It doesn't. It doesn't matter what it is or what it's worth at that point. It's just whatever the market sentiment is, and that's that's why you know a lot of people got to be really really careful on that kind of stuff. Is it happens all the time. So it doesn't. Well, it really absolutely matter. could go to any price. Like as we said last time, markets can remain rational for longer than we can remain solvent. Mm-hmm. As long as people want to buy and nobody wants to sell the price is going to go at whatever price people feel comfortable selling at yeah. uh it, but if uh bitcoin does top which i think it has last alt season we saw bitcoin topped in december of 2017 and most of the alts topped in like january february of 2018. Yep. so i think so ethereum was the last to top i think it was neo actually oh yeah that might be it yeah, neo was Neil was the last to top this time. So if history is repeating itself, then we could see this uh, intermediate cycle top. I think this intermediate cycle should top. I, I, and I, and I, and I, fig- I think I know what the signal is. So uh, is uh, a couple of weeks ago in my, um, in my other chat group for cryptos, I said, because uh, a couple of the holders still had Litecoin, and Litecoin was popping. And Litecoin is dog, dog shit. Like I, I, and I like the creator, but it's dog shit. Anyway, it started popping. And I remember last cycle... Right before the peak, uh, Bitcoin's peak, Litecoin popped, and it made no sense because this is a coin that's yeah. It's a, co- it's a copy of Bitcoin, and it does nothing, right? Um, and it popped, and then Bitcoin topped, and this time Litecoin popped, and it looks like Bitcoin topped. I'm yeah. like, there's a lot of signs. There's a lot of signs. Um, there's a lot of signs out there, and I think Dogecoin going up. Like, what did it do this year? Like a hundred x? Something like that. Like, I want to congratulate all. Dogecoin holders on that. That was just amazing. That was a great trade. But don't forget to sell. Yeah. <laughs> don't forget to sell. Yeah, I was just going to say that. You think... only realize a profit when you sell. Yes. Yeah. 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 And, and like I was just going to mention, mention quickly before we go to the Tesla thing that like I, I was looking at quickly at the all time uh, alt charts, like the top 10 coin, like the top 10 alts are down like 35 to 50% from their, from their peaks already. With the exception of uh, Binance and Ethereum, but but I mean, there's a lot of coin holders out there that don't hold those or hold like very little. They're like like more exotic alts, and they're down like fifty percent from the top. And you know, some people bought that top. They just feel bad for that. Well, I noticed the coins that they want to hold are the ones that are like very very small in terms of price. It doesn't make any sense. But like the ones yeah. that are trading like under one dollar, psychologically, they think that they can make more gains with those. Um, and quickly, before we dive into Tesla, I think we should just uh, like rehash from last week, look at some of the earnings that we were talking about last week, mm. look at just a couple of charts, just take a couple of minutes. <coughs> I think the first one that we should look at would be Netflix. Yeah. NFL right. So Netflix did well on their earnings, right? They just missed on their subscribers. So they crushed earnings. Right. But when it comes to Netflix, the only number that counts is their subs. They got 3.9, they were expecting six. I said last week they wanted a little bit more than six. If you can pop it up on a, a weekly, it's trading under the 200 week right now. 
Yeah. Yeah. So that's um, at least on my chart. I'm not sure Ooh, what you have going on there. Look at that volume there. Look at that volume there. That, that's uh, this week, right? Uh, it seems yeah. like every, every earnings day, it's got a huge volume spike, eh? Look at that. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, without fail. Wow. Without fail. I might have to watch that. <laughs> Short. I don't know no. if your small One, cap strategies two, are going to be able four. to work here, man. Uh, I could try. <laughs> you, you just said you only like companies trading under what? 40, 50, right? Million. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if it's got enough volume, it might move the same. Depends, right? Netflix has a market cap of 223 bill. Yeah. That's, yeah. A, yeah no, that's a little out of my But of we got something. Yeah, look at these slam downs. On the daily. If you go to the yeah. daily, it's trading under the 200 day, rather. Yeah. So I think Netflix is like in the penalty box Ooh. for the next like couple of quarters. I think they're really like guilty until proven innocent. So this name's going to continue to solidate and eventually it's going to be a really, really good trade. Um, yeah. I just watch that. You're right. It might do one of these where it's, gonna, it's just going to trade between the two averages for a little bit. Yeah, it's going to just churn for a couple of months here, and uh, that's fine. <laughs> I like that penalty I box. wouldn't sweat it. I wouldn't sweat it if I was a long-term Netflix bull. I don't hold any Netflix. And, yeah, to use a sports term, it's in the penalty box for one or two quarters. Man, it surprised 23% of the upside, too. Yeah, they were that's good earnings, but people only care about subs. And when I think about it, I think it's because it's COVID and there hasn't been a lot of like new TV series, excited new TV series in production. Mm-hmm. The only thing I watch on Netflix is The Office. I'll just watch that show over and over. So I'm the last <laughs> guy to ask. Looks like it's been consolidating for like a year, kind of like in about a hundred dollar range though. So well, that's great because it's it's holding that five hundred dollar psychological level. Yeah. Yeah, it looks well, like as, it- as long as it holds that. I wouldn't worry. Uh, next stock is Snapchat. This company, on the other hand, had a really, really good quarter, beat on the top and bottom line, raised their guidance. So I call that a beat and raise. And um, this company has 280 million daily active users. So those are the numbers that the advertisers look at. Um, and if you pop it on a daily, I'm not sure what you have it on now. It's, it looks really That's tiny daily. on my screen. Perfect. Oh, uh, maybe yeah. Pop it on a weekly then. So you got inverse head and shoulders on the daily, but on the weekly, you'll see this is like just heaven for trend following. Don't you find that curious? Netflix beats, destroys earnings and increased earnings quarter over quarter, sells off. Snap is actually down from fourth quarter and yet they're up. Well, Well, for social media companies, it's all about the monthly and daily active subscribers. And then for Netflix, it's all about, you know, uh, the monthly paying subs. So to me, it makes sense. I mean, the um, headline number typically doesn't matter too much. Wow. Um, I'll give you one more, uh, just in the essence of time. Uh, United Airlines was a company that we all said we were somewhat bearish on. Threw some cold water on the um, travel stocks and they had a big disappointment. So they had a uh, $1.3 billion quarterly loss. And while there is some pent-up demand for travel, at least domestically, I know United is leveraged towards business travel. And I don't, I don't think we're seeing a lot of 
those international flights come back soon. A lot of executives going on these long business trips, you know, flying yeah, business class. Business, isn't the business model effectively subsidized by the business and the, um, the, the higher classes, like the, you know, the people yes. fly coach are subsidized? So I don't think they business. make much on um, the economy fares at all. I think maybe it's a loss leader. Yeah. So out of all the airlines, this is just uh, one I'd probably want to stay away from. It could still be cheap, but I don't think cheap is good. I mean, technically this looks bad because they broke out late. They're retesting and it doesn't look like they're going to survive. It's on high, some high volume sell-offs here. This is on the weekly too. I'm just wondering oh, if we bad. can really break all those moving averages and have a true trend reversal. Yeah. It's, you see, this is what I'm worried about, man. Like, if we start getting these, these failures, these failure to launches in the stocks, I think the whole market's going to have a really bad last half of the year. I know that's the pessimist of me talking, but I can't help it. Well, I think the market's just like bifurcated. Like, I don't think that we can say, okay, the market's going to be positive or negative. I think we have to look at different subsectors and see like what's driving it. And when I look at the charts of the NASDAQ, when I look at the charts of the technology stocks, that's where I want to put my dollars versus something that's older economy. Like I think Zoom has taken a chunk out of the airlines, knowing that people can mm. do business worldwide on a Discord or a Zoom conference. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right about that. Um, although I do hear a lot of people complaining about Zoom too. Other companies that had really nice beats were Chipotle. We covered them last week and Coca-Cola. We covered them in um, our last episode as well. So we had generally really positive earnings. Look at Intel. Intel beat earnings. Your favorite company. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look at that. In the two weeks that we called the top, we released that like, you know, that Sunday or Monday, and then it's been down. It's down what? What is it down? Uh, it is down 14. Well, it's closing at 13, but it was down at peak like 15 plus percent. Oof. On rising volume too. Ooh. Surprised the downside. Well, I mean, they still got they still had great earnings. It's just I don't know what the expectations were 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 so high for. But so I think when looking at Intel, it was the weakness in the data center, and we we knew that um, some of their competitors were going to be taking a chunk out of that segment. But you know, if they're losing ground in the data center um, for their CPUs, that's just not good news. I think I'm going to call a fractal. I think what's what happened here with this larger cup and handle kind of formation failure. I think we might see here with this smaller cup and handle formation failure. I can see that. See what's up. Yeah, and then we'll see what's up. Probably bang at this top for a little bit, and then see what happens towards the end of the year. What November? Yeah, that's a good time. It's a turnaround story. Um, yeah. A lot of people have a lot of faith in their new CEO, but yeah. there's a lot to turn around here. Um, it's definitely being supported by really. Um, good fundamentals in their sector. I always say I would rather own the worst stock in the best sector than the best stock in the worst sector. That's fair. Like That's that. Intel. That's Intel. Yeah. A rising tide should lift all ships. And I think that the semis, again, is definitely the place to be. I'm super bullish on the semiconductors. Pop-up socks, SOX. Right. I was just going to say. gift that keeps giving, man. 
I was just going to say, Kalen is the shark in the little pond. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. We clear daily. It doesn't matter. All right. Look at that. That's like a bull flag. The other charts. Like we're seeing on the other. Oops. What am I doing here? It's an equilibrium. It's just waiting for that catalyst that's going to send it higher. It could be NVIDIA earnings. Who knows? Yeah, you're right. How, how, do you know how much uh, NVIDIA is in uh, stocks? It's the biggest position. It's like maybe 7 to 10%. I don't have the exact number offhand. But it's a market mover, and you're going to see a lot of the names will follow NVIDIA. I think people are really bullish on AMD too, right? I mean, they're, yeah. they're all taking share. The earnings is this week too, is it? Oh, Monday. Shit, tomorrow's Tesla and uh, uh, AMD. Well, the other one that we should look at, because you called it on here two episodes ago, ASML. They had a great yeah. quarter last week. Yep. Uh, Our Dutch was... semiconductor company. Uh, you could do the one on the NASDAQ. It's the uh, uh, depository share, the American gotcha. depository share. Wow. Yep. Wow. Fully wow. expected that. Woo. They smoked the earnings, too. Smoked it. I, mean, I think you're going to see that from all the semiconductor companies, especially who came out two days ago. Was it Ford that came out and they said that the semiconductor shortage is going to bite for a couple more years, actually? Yeah, it might be Ford, actually. You're right. Well, yeah. several, several people came out. Like, I think it's almost unanimous. Like. But it's, wow. it's going to be drawn out for longer than expected. And these chips are used in everything. Um, yeah. And I, I think that's think the thing, right? We have higher I think demand. our viewers need another semiconductor pitch. But yeah, we have higher yeah. demand. We have lower supply. Shortage, yeah. Any amount of chips they can produce will be sold. Yeah, that's incredible. At any that's price they want. Uh, 200 billion. Well, not a bad company. That's... And no rising volume, too. That's what, these guys aren't done. They're, they might go to $1,000 by the end of this year. Oh, I love that. I love higher highs on higher volume. Oh, yeah, look at that. Let's look back. So, what about here. Tesla, man? Uh, you know, it's earnings when you hear bad news about Tesla. In the, in yeah, the, always. In the news. So, there's a there's a crash that happened like last week. It took the price down a little bit. Um, so, two people were found uh, dead in a in a Tesla Model S that burned up, and uh, the owner was in the back seat, and the passenger was in the passenger seat. So, no one was in the driver's seat. So automatically, every median from Reuters, the Barons, that you name it, immediately just thought this shit was on autopilot and autopilot crashed and killed these two people. Except autopilot doesn't work when there's nobody in the driver's seat. There's a lot of security features put in there, right? And they even like boasted about how saying how the battery's a hazard because it burned for six hours and they used 30,000 gallons. Well, well, here's the fire chief of Houston who said the rumors got out of control. He said they, took, they put it out in three minutes. And they didn't call Tesla to, because they didn't know what to do. Like the, the media not only didn't do research, but they sensationalized this whole story. And I, and I, and well, actually I have some little proof that it's like, there's a lot of short sellers out there and I'm sure they're trying to take the, the, the price down. Right. But going, but we have enough know, proof, man. We oh, have yeah. like so many big wall street firms that are short Tesla. Don't want to say any names, 40 but it's Let's just say the total 40 billion, 40 billion total. What and, percent and, of the float? I'm curious. About uh, it, it's actually down now. It's actually down now. Um, 20%, I think it was. But um, That's massive. I mean, 
It's absolutely not. But uh, just real quick, I wanted to run about uh, Tesla's earnings because I'm big on them. But um, oh, here's Consumer Reports. So they came out with an article soon after because everything in the original reports are proven to be false. So then they kind of um, they kind of shifted the argument to saying, well, it, the danger is that Tesla Autopilot can be fooled, right? And so this is how they fooled it. By the way, they tied a weight to the steering wheel to make to make it feel like there's a hand on there. The seatbelt is buckled. And then the guy is on the, he's on the passenger side, but he's got his foot on the pedal. That is the only way to fool <laughs> autopilot. That's right? a little excessive. And they think this makes Tesla look bad. But the question is, did you fucking die? No. Did you fucking crash? No. So Tesla autopilot works even when you fool it. And who is going to do that? Like, you, you have to intentionally, like, it's like, if I wanted to go to that level, I could fool cruise control too. Am I going to, you know, Go after every uh, car company that offers cruise control. That whole argument's invalid, though, because you could say, I mean, every car now has traction control. I mean, you could argue, oh, I spun out going around a corner because my traction control failed, or like it's you know, it's the operator at the end of the day. And then they blame Tesla because they're saying it's the marketing. They call it autopilot. Well, here's a piece of Ford uh, marketing with their their new their their you know self driving thing. This is a driver with his hand on the sunglasses and his lap, no touch on the steering wheel. Like if you're talking about market, like you just the, the media is just so biased. It's like everything you blame Tesla for doing, the entire auto industry is doing, but you focus on Tesla. Right? Yeah, well, it's because you got all um, the short sellers that are underwater. They're trying to pay the media. Yeah, <laughs> and I just want to point point this out because data doesn't lie. First quarter registered one accident for every four point one nine miles driven, in which autopilot was engaged. Drivers without autopilot but with our other active safety features registered one in every two main accidents or sorry one one in every two main miles for those driving without autopilot and without active safety features registered one in every just under a main by comparison national highway traffic safety blah blah says there's a crash in every half main so tesla is demonstrating with autopilot on they're they're 10 tenfold more safe tenfold more safe than cars without data doesn't lie love it i mean so just the fact that they can only focus on a single accident, like the first one that's ever happened, they're like, ah. like, yeah. half, like half a million accidents happen in the U.S. a year. Like, it's just ridiculous. So here, here's more flight from Germany. So th this is an interesting take. They're saying that the traditional automakers are ahead of Tesla because Tesla doesn't have hybrid plug-in technology. Huh? Like they occupy the leading position in electrified automobiles in Europe. They played an outstanding role, blah blah blah. So they're they're saying Volkswagen. And it is precisely with this hybrid technology that Tesla cannot follow this and due to lack of internal combustion, know-how has no plug-in hybrids to offer. So they're saying that Volkswagen is going to beat Tesla because they have hybrid plug-ins. That's kind of a move backwards from where we're heading. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, because now you have to manufacture an ICE car with battery technology and throw it all together. Why don't you just go either or? They'd just be more efficient. Hybrids are the least efficient, you know, stopgap measure. Um, but this is how, like, Germany, because Germany's threatened because Tesla's got a factory out there now, um, which, by the way, looks amazing. I mean, look at the size of this thing. This is a gigafactory. So they're not only going to be It looks building... like the Cybertruck. <laughs> it does. Look at that. That's where it started Funny. with. It's awesome. um, so they're not just going to be building the cars there, they're going to be building your Cybertruck, Halen. Uh, as well as the semi, 
and they're going to be building their new, um, I think, 3850, I think that's the number, the batteries, so the tablet's batteries, the, the, the breakthrough solid-state batteries. So this, this, this factory is going to be everything, everything. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, and my buddy just got a job there, too, so good, good on him. But um, I showed that. So just want to quickly go over Tesla's deliveries, because we'll, we'll know tomorrow. So Q1 is actually a huge beat. Um, they delivered... Uh, let's see, Q2 last year they delivered, I think, 180,000 $180, units. I can't find the chart now. They delivered 180 last year in Q2, but uh, I'm still on this page. So they delivered 180 um, and um, Q4. They produced 180 this year, but but uh, delivered a little bit more because there's always some in transit. So Tesla doesn't count a delivery until it's in the customer's hand. So even if it's sold, paperwork's there. If it's if it's still on a truck or it's still not, you know, paperwork is correct that day, um, they don't count it as a sale or a delivery. So that's why they delivered more than they produced. But I mean, the, I know personally that, that, that their cars are uh, um, uh, supply constrained because I ordered one and I'm waiting like eight weeks for it now. But so they killed deliveries. The last quarter was their highest earnings ever and they killed deliveries. Um, and this Q1 is traditionally their weakest, and they beat it by several percentage points. And so tomorrow's number is going to be very, it's going to be very telling where Tesla is going to go going forward because this is their weakest quarter. Now, what makes it interesting is because last quarter, the stock actually went down um, on disappointment, and it was because their profit margins went down. And people were wondering why, like, if you're delivering more cars, why is your profit margin down? They had a lot of uh, one-time expenses. So... Because of the, the massive share increase, Elon had a bunch of his um, stock options uh, get um, or stock rewards get um, get passed. So then he had, he he realized some of those there, and there was also some uh, construction things that are going on. So they stopped the Model S and X production line, and they're they're retooling to build a new Plaid models, the one that go from like zero to sixty in two point nine seconds. So the the production for the Model S and X took some took some um, took some expenses away. So. All that told, without those headwinds, this quarter should be should be quite quite an epic quarter, um, a lot higher than previous years. I just want to show where's Rob Mowers. Here we go. Here we go. So these are the previous years. There we go. So they delivered 180,000 actual last year. So this is their year over year, uh, quarter over quarter increases in uh, production. I mean, for as an investor, this is what you want to see. You want to see like exponential growth. Right, year-over-year year deliveries, 109%. Automotive with sales, 75%. I mean, so there. So the consensus estimates right now is somewhere between 27 cents per share lowest to 90 something cents at the highest. So Rob's got him at about 56 cents in the middle. But this is like, I don't know what your thoughts on uh, on this, Brendan. Well, I can look at it from a technical standpoint. That's just about yeah. it. Yeah. Like, what do you think about the the um, the numbers, like? You know, increase in deliveries, increase in profit margins. I think Tesla is definitely establishing itself as a leader in the automotive space. So I would definitely agree. I'm not sure what they have um, like forecasted. Like I haven't made like a, um, a model myself, yeah. so I'm not sure. I definitely think it's uh, it has some nice support at its 50 day. Um, it just obviously had to consolidate a really, really massive move. Like we can't forget Tesla from like what september like 2019 to like the $900 peak went up like close to 20 times yeah there's just one thing with tesla that i am worried about uh, get rid of this shit. like you got to consolidate big moves and the same with crypto yeah 
So I would just look at it on like a daily time frame and see if it can hold the 50. I think the earnings are a massive catalyst, but either way, the market wants it to go one way or the next. So uh, we'll find that out after the earnings. Yeah, what a great uh, start. I think it was two Mondays ago, we broke through the 618 support level. We came back down to test the the moving average. But so like right now is make or break because if earnings is good, we're going to we're going to test this this um, uh, resistance level at 844. So we'll see what happens after that. But if not, we're gonna, I, th- I really think we're going to fall through and test the uh, 200. If uh, for some reason it disappoints, um, I don't see it happening though. This is an interesting article. So this is one of the more forward-looking things that, that I think most investors are looking for. Uh, Tesla announced that they are uh, they've um, registered for the sale insurance in Germany in con- in concurrence with their um, Tesla Germany uh, Giga Berlin opening factory opening. And they also did, so they're in California right now operating, but I think they also opened up in Texas and they applied for one more state. So they're opening up insurance and Morgan Stanley's got them um, adding $35 a share to their share price because it's just from the insurance business alone. Hmm. So yeah, I mean, they, they, they have a lot of things lining up, coming up because Giga Shanghai has like been a moneymaker for them. Like the Chinese auto market is the largest auto market right now. They're the only foreign company that's allowed to um, manufacture there and sell there, you know, and um, and that factory is going to go to capacity. They're going to be able to do half main cars a year. You got Giga Berlin coming up, another Giga factory. Then you got Texas. They're going to so they they forecasted fifty percent of your growth every year for the next three to five years. That is outstanding. That's incredible. And just to uh, look at China too, we got Neo delivering their earnings this week. I'm not sure about Xpeng, but I know Neo is. And because their deliveries are on such a low base, they have the opportunity to really surprise to the upside. Uh, a lot of analysts are very bullish on Neo. It's one to watch. Yeah, I actually don't follow Neo as much as I should, but it looks like it got it found support here on the fifteenth. I don't know what happened there, but and same with X Bank too. It was just I, I think it was what Kalen was talking about. We had that shift from um, these names really largely being out of favor to them really finding their level finding their footing and they still have to make a couple of, you know, higher highs. Like they have to work their way through some moving averages and some very important resistance levels, but they've definitely found their level. Like people want to buy Neo at that level. Same with X bank. And that coincides 50 bucks. Target is 50 bucks coincides with the VPVR, man. This is a good, uh, it looks looking pretty good technically. Well, it um, just has to base. It probably has to base for a couple more months, man. Interesting. Well, actually, they're still going to be at a loss, right? I think, yeah, I think both Neil and Xpand are still going to be at a loss, but we'll see how fast they can grow revenue. I think that's the important number. Well, that was a story with Tesla for years. People were, yeah. you know, a lot of skeptics were really upset that they weren't making a profit. And now they are. People want to know now how much profit are they making and how much of the auto market are they getting? So that bar has been raised. And now I, th- I think Neo's in the same boat that Tesla was in a couple of years ago. I think so too. I, my only problem with Neo is they have that stupid business model where they want to build um, the battery swap infrastructure. And that's just like a lot of CapEx. I think it's unnecessary for a little bit of convenience. I, I don't know. I don't know if you have thoughts You're the on EV that, expert but... here, man. <laughs> well, no, just as a driver, you guys, like, do you want to drive... Do you want to charge your, your car at night at home or do you want to be able to j- drive into some station somewhere and swap a battery in like three minutes? Both sound good. Yeah. 
Well, they do give it one interesting incentive, and it's that they'll sell you the car minus $10,000 because that's the cost of the battery. So you get your electric car, and then you lease the battery for like 150 bucks a month. And what does the car cost? What's the total cost minus that? So like 50000 minus ten, so maybe $40,000 car. Okay. U.S. Um, you're, you're still that paying the, the lease fees, yeah. It's interesting. It's an interesting model. But the only problem is like how many of those swap things do you have to build before it, it actually becomes usable, right? I mean, if you sell more cars, you need more stations, and then that, that's, that's a lot of overhead. I mean, it took Tesla 10 years to build the super station, you know, supercharging network, and that wasn't cheap. And, and I think that's one of the, um, the key features that's not being appreciated about Tesla, like their share price. They have 20,000 chargers around the world. No, no single automaker or combined can say that, right? Yeah, I know when I was looking at them, I can basically drive across the whole country with them. Like, they're all over the place. Yeah, and Canada's just changing a lot too. Now this says we're going to be charged. So right now we're being charged by per minute because it's really hard because um, electricity prices fluctuate, so you get charged per minute. But mm -hmm. I think Canada is trying to make a pass legislation that's going to force somebody to tell you to, to charge us per kilowatt, so we know exactly what we're paying for. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. So, so I don't know if that's good or bad, but um, oh, but here's a bad one. Trudeau is going to. He wasn't for increasing um, capital gains tax, but he wanted to increase taxes on people buying EV cars over $100,000. I thought he wanted to go green. Yeah, yeah and like now the only Tesla you can buy and get that reward on is the, the base Model 3. So yeah, you get, the, you get the reward if you buy one that's $50,000 or less. So you're basically yeah. getting a bolt, yeah. right? And then if you buy $100,000 or more, you get extra taxed. Yeah. What, what is, this is our genius government right here. <laughs> Well, on that note, should we end it here, guys? Yeah, yeah we've been running for a Sounds long good. time. All right, cool. Awesome. All right, awesome, thanks guys. for watching, guys.